thank you so much for the awesome power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as I share tonight, I'm dealing with really continuing in the series on deception and mixture, but Lord, I want to give my personal testimony and deal with the, the yeast of the Pharisees, or the leaven of the Pharisees. So I'm asking you, Lord, tonight, and everybody agrees with me, the Bible says that we agree as to it will be done. I'm asking you, Lord, that you will come in an awesome way right now by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come fill this place. We're asking you, Lord, that you would so anoint the word tonight, that you that your glory would be so thick, Holy Spirit, that the anointing would be so strong, Lord, that every person would get locked in to give you their best ear, their full attention, their focus, to be captivated right now in every way. There's no distractions. We bind any hindrance, any distractions, anything trying to come against people from receiving. We break that right now. And Lord, we thank you. As I speak this, let it go out, Lord, as a mighty hammer that breaks down strongholds of the enemy. Lord, let it go out as a sword that will cut away what needs to go. Let it go out as light shining in the dark places. And dispel all the darkness, lies, and deception of the enemy. Lord, let your word go out as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil, watered by the Spirit of God. That will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Let it come, Lord. We need you tonight. Come speak through me tonight, Lord. Everything that you want spoken in the way that you want it spoken, just yield it to you. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, in this series, Deception and Mixture, this is part 10. Of course, I'm going to use this as a personal testimony as well. But Revelation 12, 11, y'all just give me your best here tonight. I believe this will help you. I feel like I'm coming up against some, some spiritual forces uh, in regards to a religious spirit. But Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him, talking about Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when they faced, were faced with death. <coughs> So they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So testimony has power in it. Did you know that? Your testimony has a lot of power, and that's why it's important that people share their testimonies because it releases a grace and a power. And I'm talking about the testimony of your life story, but I'm also talking about testimonies of whenever God does something for you. It's important that you share those, okay? And in regards to the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees, Mark 8.15 says he was giving orders to them saying, Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, Watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Let me just focus on that, the yeast of the Pharisees. So what was the yeast of the Pharisees? It was sin, because sin is always representative of yeast in the Bible, but what, what was the yeast of the Pharisees? Because by and large, we don't read a lot of horrible sins per se, but what it was, it was a religious spirit. A religious spirit is, actually, if you think about it, the Pharisees were by far Jesus' greatest enemies. I know that, that he had a lot of enemies, but the Pharisees, the religious, the ones that had the religious spirit, they were by far the greatest enemies of the Lord. And it's still true today. 
Those that are yielding themselves to a religious spirit today are the greatest enemies of the move of God and what God is wanting to do in the earth by far. The sinners, the atheists, all those people, whatever, they just have, they're full of sin, they got full of pride and all that on their way to hell and, and we pray for them. But really, it's the religious ones that are the most persecuting and attacking and wanting to destroy the moves of God. And it's always been that way. So tonight, as I give some of my testimony, I'm going to uh, I'm going to deal with how I had to face a religious spirit. I'm also going to talk to you about other people that I know very well that have faced religious spirits. And a religious spirit is very vicious. I mean, a Jezebel spirit is vicious, but a religious spirit is also, I mean, vicious. All right, so as far as my testimony, I grew up in a Christian home, but I would say, by and large, we went to... Um, more of a dead Pentecostal background. And what I mean by that is there would be an evangelist come in town and we might have a series of good meetings, but by and large, by and large the church was, was not really spiritually powerful. And growing up, I wish that, of course, there wasn't really anything around us going on in the way of revival. There really wasn't. Um, but now looking back, I wish that I had been able to come around revival earlier on. I know that my parents do too because it just revolutionized my life. Just experiencing the power of, the true power of Pentecost. There's nothing more dead than a dead Pentecostal church. <laughs> because once that once had a move of God, and now what has happened? Now a religious spirit has settled in, and now it's really dead. And I hope by the end of this sermon I can paint a good picture of a religious spirit. Okay. But a religious spirit settles over ministries and churches and brings about just a sterility. The atmosphere is absent of God's presence. It's dry. And as I was growing up in this, though, um, I really believe that God does this for a lot of people called into the ministry. God gave my mother actually a sign when I was a baby, and I believe it was from the Lord. And... She had, an, she had eyes to see and ears to hear. But everybody that's called into the ministry, Jeremiah points out that you're called from birth. So it's known when you're born. I mean, it's known in the womb that, that you're called and set apart for something. And when, whenever my mother was carrying me in the womb, she said that somebody had come to the church and was preaching. They had mentioned John the Baptist. And she said that they were talking about uh, John the Baptist sleeping in the womb. And she said, I really leaped in the womb. And it was significant. And she felt that there was something too that was like a sign of a call. And let me tell you that there's a lot of, that probably happens to most people calling to the ministry that there's signs when they're little get God's trying to tell their parents so their parents can pray for them. And I'm sure that happens to a lot of people. So my parents prayed for me, but nonetheless, as I was growing up, I, I definitely fell away from the Lord. I believe with all my heart, this is my personal opinion, but when you're, when you're brought into this world and there's a call on your life, especially if there's a significant call of some kind to carry an anointing, that's what the devil's afraid of. If you're called to carry the anointing, that from the time you're a child, there's some kind of a mark on you to where God's going to watch out for you, but there's going to be some spiritual warfare against you. And I've heard this preached on by other preachers, and I totally, completely agree with it, that you can have say five children in a family, one of them's really called. That one that's really called will go through more hell growing up 
than the others, and it'll be evident. I mean, they'll 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 be the ones that seem to have a lot of negative and a lot of um, issues at school, and they just have a lot of issues through life. And and you can look at the there's a lot of people that this has happened to um, throughout history. When you look at church history, well, let's go back to the Bible. Look at the the warfare that surrounded the birth of Moses. Remember when Moses was born. You know, Pharaoh had all the babies dumped into the Nile. There was a tremendous warfare around Moses and his upbringing. Same thing with Jesus. When Jesus was brought into the earth, Herod tried to slaughter all the babies. Had all of them killed. There was tremendous warfare. And I'm, I'm certainly not saying in any way to compare me in that scenario. I'm just saying that anybody called to the ministry that there's going to be some kind of a warfare surrounding their life. Okay? And, and there, there's no difference with me in that area. I know... For example, John Wesley barely escaped with his life as a child when his house burned down. And a lot of people believe that Satan was trying to kill him when he was a kid. And, and many others. Oral Roberts uh, developed a severe case, uh, you know, incurable disease and almost died. But God healed him. And of course, then he went on to have a tremendous healing ministry. But there's, there's usually a lot of warfare. So I fell away from the faith, so to speak. I definitely was backslidden. Um, far from God, but thankfully, even though as as much sin as I was in, thankfully I'd heard, heard enough growing up in Pentecost from the pastor that preached it straight and told it like it was, that I knew that I was not in a good place. Had I grown up in a type of church that preached what I would call heresy, doctrines of demons, and told me that I could still go to heaven living like that, I don't know what would have happened to me. But thankfully, I grew up in a church that believed the word of the Lord accurately. And I knew that I was not doing good spiritually. I knew if I was to die, I was going to go to hell. But nonetheless, I was very much away from God. Um, I was in a lot of partying, a lot of sexual sin, a lot of alcohol, some drugs. And I even dabbled in the occult, which is really weird because it wasn't, there wasn't any reason for it. My family never was in it. It just was something that I was drawn to. And I'll come to this later, but I believe that that generational curses played into that. But I'll, I'll get into that later on in my testimony. But anyway, in this Christian home, I did not really have the encounter with God that I should have personally had on a personal level. I was basically living out vicariously my Christianity, so to speak, um, through my parents. My parents were Christians. We go to a Christian church, so therefore I'm a Christian. But I really did not have a really... Um, strong, powerful, life-changing encounter with God for myself until I got older. So I was away from God. I was living in a lot of sin. But thankfully, my parents were praying for me. Because honestly, there's no telling what would have happened had they not really been praying for me. So God did a miraculous work. He brought me back to Him. I was at the age of 18. This is when I consider myself to truly come to the Lord. And be born again for real. Because it was no longer something that was my parents' walk with God. Now, it was something that, that was my walk with God. And this was, this was 1995. Sometime that year, I gave my life to the Lord. I believe it was January 95, but I could be wrong. I gave my life to the Lord on my own. And I really had an encounter with the Lord then. I was 18 years old. And I knew that I had to get out of the area that I was living. Because all my friends... There was nothing around me that was powerful Christianity. There was nothing around me that I could go to. And I knew that all my friends were a bunch of partying heathens. 
and I knew that I had to get away from that. And when you truly become a Christian, you have got to separate yourself from that garbage or it'll pull you back down. And I certainly, certainly coming out of all the sin that I came out of, which was, I was deeply entrenched in bondage. A lot of people don't realize this because as young as I was, but I was, I, I drank almost continually for at least a year. I mean, when I say continually, I mean continually. And I, and I really, it, it must have been in the, in the way of being an alcoholic because it really was that bad. And I was in a lot of sin. And so when I came to the Lord, I gave my life to him and he forgave me and I could tell that I was different on the inside. But that's it. And so as my testimony goes, I think you're going to understand why I'm the type of minister that I am now. Hopefully I'll get that across to you. So, the pastor that I had encouraged me to go to Bible school. And so, I I set my sights on that, and I moved to Dallas to get away from all the junk that I was around. There was just, growing up, let me say this, it was really weird because there was so much surrounded in my life, a lot of controversy, that did not make sense. Now, 20 years or more later, 20 years later, I look back on a lot of this, and I'm talking about just as a kid, um, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old as a, just a kid going to school, minding my own business, there was something swirling around my life that I did not understand at the time. But now looking back on it through the eyes of, of, of an older man now understanding the things of the Spirit, I understand that that, that tempest surrounding my life swirling was, was spiritual warfare. But there was so much controversy. There was people that hated me for no reason, that didn't even know me. I mean, they really hated me too. And I remember just thinking, just what in the world? What is the deal? So anyway, I'll come back to all that later. But all of this stuff I went through growing up, there was a lot of inner healing that I needed. There was certainly a lot of deliverance that I needed. And there was I needed to learn how on a practical level to become a man of God. And I did not really know how to do that. My parents were amazing. But you got to understand something. When you're called into the ministry, you really need somebody that's in the ministry and has been through that to kind of help you understand what you're getting into. Do you understand what I mean? There's just a difference. You need that. And I went to Bible school needing to to learn a lot. And I'm not being negative about the Bible school I went to because there was a lot of good. There really was. I learned some things. And I developed some good friendships that I have to this day. It was a positive experience. But let me say this. Just for those that have aspirations to go to Bible school, I'm sure that there are some Bible schools that you'll learn more. But here's what I didn't learn in Bible school, though. I did not learn how to get free from my past. I did not learn how to be healed inwardly. I did not learn how to renew my mind. I did not learn how to die to the flesh. I did not learn how to pray. And that's the most important thing. When you go to Bible school, in my opinion, that should be the first thing they teach you. I did not learn how to pray. I did not learn how to operate in the anointing. There was never a move of God. There was never a time where, the, where somebody was showing you, look, this is how you pray for the sick. This is how you cast out demons. This is how, you know, there wasn't any mentoring in that. So imagine what it's like whenever I get into the ministry and, and, and the Holy Spirit came upon my life. And I go to pray for people and pandemonium breaks out. I've got this person slithering over here like a snake because there's a demon 
I got this person laughing their head off, this person bawling their eyes out, this person shaking like they're plugged into an electric socket, all this stuff happening. And I'm sitting there going, nobody told me anything in Bible school about this. I don't know what to do. I'm being serious about this. It's funny. You'll probably laugh at some things, but at the same time, I'm kind of being serious when it first happens. What do you do? Because I never had anybody say, okay, when the Holy Spirit explodes like that, here's what you do. And, and help me to understand. And so that's why, you'll see as I go, that's why I'm the type of minister that I am, especially with the younger, those that are calling to the ministry, younger people, because I know what it's like to not have anybody there to really instruct you. And you have to learn as you go. And it really, it was actually very painful at times to go through that. I did not learn how to pray for the sick or cast out demons. I did not understand how to function in the gifts. There was never anything in Bible school about, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to let the gifts of the Spirit operate. You know, somebody may get a message in tongues, interpretation, prophecy, whatever. There was nothing like that. I didn't learn anything about spiritual warfare. That's like somebody taking you and you're 20 years old and them fitting you with all this gear. They give you an M16. They give you whatever they use in military You know, now as far as weaponry. And they drop you behind enemy lines, but they decided we're not going to send you to boot camp. We're just going to throw you in there. That's exactly how it felt, too. I did not... I didn't learn the things I felt like I needed to learn. I did learn some things, though. I learned some things out of the Word of God, and I did grow some. But as far as learning the practical side of ministry, I didn't learn what I needed to learn. And it, it was very difficult when I first started out in ministry. Now, had I gone down a path of just a political, um, dead-dry church, where, where, you know what I mean, you just get up and you give announcements, you do three songs... You do this, that, and the other, and it's just going through a routine. Anybody can do that. You don't even have to be called in the ministry to do that. But I'm talking about moving in the anointing. I'm talking about going through spiritual warfare, the real deal, not the, not the stuff people sometimes talk about because they had a bad day. No, I'm talking about real spiritual warfare, the real deal, okay? So what God did was in His infinite mercy, and I'm going to go through my life story real quick in a sermon form and help you grow, but... What God did was He very graciously <clears throat> excuse me, taught me how to pray. And so that's all I had. And, and as you see here in a moment, I went through a lot of rejection. I'm going to share a lot of my friends have been through a lot of rejection too in the ministry. And I had a lot of time to spend with the Lord by myself. And in that, God in His great mercy and grace taught me what I needed to know. And he also sent people in my path that would come through my life and teach me things. And so God developed me over time. How many knows the Bible says he will supply all of your needs? He will. He knows if he's called you, he knows that maybe you're not getting what you need from the people that he wants to be taking you under their wing and ministering unto you. So he sees that he will give it to you one way or another. He will supply your needs. He will teach you. So I had come to the Lord at the age of 18 and I moved out and I started to go to Bible school about a year later. And I was there and it was exciting for me, but it was extremely difficult. I was working Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I was working 10-hour days and I had to drive an hour to work in rush hour traffic and an hour back. 
So while I was doing that, I was going taking a full load of school on Tuesday and Thursdays. Full load. What is that, 15 hours? You'll help me out. I don't remember now. It's been, you know, 20 years. Anyway, so I had to take a full load. I had a Monday night class, which was three hours. So I'd work 10-hour days, drive two hours. That's 12 hours right there. Then I'd come home, change clothes because I was filthy, run in there, and I would have a three-hour class. And I had to pay attention to all of it. I learned during that time to drink a lot of coffee <laughs> and to pray in the Holy Ghost a lot. But anyway, I actually, I did learn a lot during that time. What God was doing was I was a typical teenager that was somewhat lazy like a lot of teenagers are. And um, God got that out of me, man. I'm going to tell you, it didn't take long. When you're working that hard, because I was in a warehouse and I, I was having to be there at 7 in the morning. You've got to understand, I, I, got, I left at 6. Okay, so I tell you, I had to get up. If I wanted to pray, I had to get up like at 4.35 in the morning. And I drove, and I, and I was just 18. This was a challenging life. I get there, it was extremely hot during the summer, extremely cold in the winter because it was a warehouse. All day long, I picked up five-gallon paint buckets and threw them on stuff. I was in pretty good physical shape because that's all I did all day long, you know. And I worked those, those hours, and God really developed discipline in me. He developed a discipline about getting all that laziness out. But here's, here's the practical side of it. I started to um, work at a church. Basically, I was just a very young, inexperienced youth minister helping out at a very small Pentecostal church. I was just helping them out. They wanted me to come in and do something with the youth. So, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I'm going to school, I'm working, and, and, and God opens this door for me to start being able to do this, and so I took it and I started doing that. But here's the thing during that time in my life, and this is why I've learned so much from what I've been through in this area. Even though I'd accepted the Lord and I was sincere about it, I had a sincere heart, I had only been saved about a year. And I came out of some dark sin. A lot darker than I'm going to sit here and just elaborate on, okay? There was, there was a lot. A lot that went on at, at the parties. There was just a lot of darkness in my life. And I knew that the Lord had forgiven me. I knew I was His child. But I also was, was not spiritually strong. I wasn't even spiritually completely free. And so I started working at this church at about the age of 19. It was like a part-time side thing that I did. I don't remember my hours now, but anyway... And, I, and it was good for me in many ways, but during that time in my life, I did not know how to die to the flesh. I did not know how to really pray yet. That was coming. God was going to teach me that, but I didn't really know. I'm taking you through the whole story. I really didn't know how to, to really pray, and so I was still struggling spiritually. How many of you guys accepted the Lord? And you felt for at least the first couple of years you were still struggling a little bit spiritually. Am I alone here? Is anybody else ever? So I was in a situation where I, I really... And here's the scripture that I would say. Romans 7, 7 verse 14. The Apostle Paul was young in his faith. In fact, Romans was one of the first books that he wrote. This was early on in his ministry. But listen to this. He said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. But what I am doing, I do not understand. Excuse me. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. 
But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but the sin at work in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me. In other words, he's saying my spirit is willing. But doing the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. But if I'm doing the very thing I do want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. So Paul was basically saying there's this wrestling going on in me. He was very open here to this church. He said, there's a wrestling going on in me where my spirit man really loves God, but my flesh, I'm having this major battle, and I'm finding myself doing things I don't want to do. I find myself still stumbling into sin. Anybody ever felt that way? Especially when you're young in the Lord? And you're sitting there, this wrestling is going on. Well, that was going on in my life. And at the time, I didn't know how to really conquer that. And so during that time in my life, I was about 19 to 20 years old. And I I made some sinful mistakes of different kinds. And and I stumbled and I struggled and I was trying. But but I, I couldn't measure up. And... Let me just give you some things. I needed to learn how to pray and die to the flesh, but I hadn't learned that yet. I needed to learn how to renew my mind, but I hadn't learned that yet. I needed to understand spiritual warfare because I do believe there was some of that going on for sure. I desperately needed all of this. I needed to to learn how to gain the victory, but I didn't know how, and I didn't have the mentoring. Now, here's where the religious spirit comes in. This particular church I'm at, God bless them, but there was a major religious spirit, man. It was it was spiritually cold. There was very little of the move of God. And I had genuinely went to that pastor and asked him. I wanted him to help disciple me and mentor me. And not only did he reject me, but he did it very demeaning. And I was surprised. I thought, man, I thought this guy would try to help me a little bit, you know, but he was not interested at all. Zero. And so I didn't have anybody to take me under their wing and teach me, okay, this is how you pray. This is how you die to the flesh. This is how you renew your mind. This is how you walk in victory. I didn't have any of that. I wanted it. I pursued it. I asked for it. And the leadership of that church, I don't remember a lot of love and patience. See, when you're dealing with a religious spirit, you're dealing with a very cold spirit. And when I'm talking about a spirit, I really am talking about a real demonic spirit, okay? And it's something that's in the second heaven, principalities and powers, and it works over a church, and there's sterility, and they're cold. It's a cold love. And I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel accepted. In fact, when I left there, I felt really betrayed by the body of Christ in a lot of ways. I thought, what is this I've signed up for? And I'm not shooting this at anybody here or anybody that's going to be watching this at all. But after leaving that church, I thought to myself, do I really want to spend my life trying to help that kind of people? Do I really want to spend my life doing that? I would rather get a secular job. Because I really was, was just could not believe how rough and harsh I felt chewed up and spit out. be honest with you, this is, this is the two things I would say that happened to me at that church. I did sin and I did make mistakes. I was wrong. And I apologized when I did it. I, I said I was wrong. I apologized to the people I needed to. I am sorry. I let you down. I, sh- I should have handled that different. I was very humble about it. I was very broken. I cried. Okay? I was sincere. But I felt, I felt abused when I left them. 
and I, and, I, and I felt really broken. And I didn't feel like I could measure up after that. I thought to myself, if this is what ministry's like, man, I can't, I can't handle it. You know? A religious spirit will make you feel that you can never measure up. And when you don't measure up, because none of us are perfect, it will throw you out like a piece of trash. And that's the truth. That's exactly how I felt. So when I left that church, I left very broken. I I left devastated, and I thought about, man, forget this ministry stuff. But I did realize that I needed to grow up spiritually. I needed to learn how to walk in victory. I saw it, and so God loved me enough to help me. And here's the things I want to share. When you're dealing with the religious spirit, we got to make sure that we're not going to allow a religious spirit in that, that all of us in River of Life are going to be patient with people in their imperfections. Hopefully you can see now why I am the way that I am because a lot of younger ministers, those called into the ministry, a lot of them in this room can testify that I've been really patient when they've come to me about different struggles that they've had. And I've, I've been very patient, and I've loved on them, and I've prayed with them, I've tried to help them. Why? Because I didn't have it. So I know what it's like to not have it, so I'm really trying to spend time investing. So hopefully it makes sense maybe the, the way that I am. I'm going to tell you. Let me give you a couple stories about a religious spirit before I go to the next phase here. I have a real dear friend of mine that just called me, actually. And he was telling me that he had just left a ministry not that long ago where he was there, and, and this ministry's known, I'm not going to say what it is, but he called me, and I mean, he was he was broken, and my heart really went out to him because I could really relate, you know, but he was telling me how, how cold the people were, and he had felt abused, he felt chewed up and spit out, and, and he was just, he was, it almost sounded like he was breaking down a little bit crying, you know, and I was telling him, I said, man, I understand, believe me, you know, and it can be a very cold, unloving environment whenever you, you're not perfect and you go in there and you're really giving it your best and then you're not measuring up to perfection. And so it's just like this, this oppressive, what's wrong with you? Why can't you measure up? That type of thing. How does that make people feel? It makes them feel like that they're stupid, they're a failure, they never can measure up. He told me when he left this ministry, he said, ma'am, he said, I felt coming out of that ministry like I was stupid or something. Like mentally I was not intelligent. He said, I felt like a failure. And he said, all I know is, Pastor Scott, that I shouldn't feel that way coming out of the ministry, man. Even if, even if I'm not supposed to be there, he said, I shouldn't believe they're feeling that bad. And he said, I felt abused. Let me tell you about a religious spirit. A religious spirit will abuse people. It may not be physical, but it's mental and it's emotional and it's psychological abuse. And that is not an exaggeration. So when I came out of this church, it damaged me for some time. And let me just give you a couple things that I saw and I learned. Sometimes God puts you through things so you can learn what not to do. And I'm not saying that with a bad spirit. I'm saying that with total forgiveness and love and all that. I've already forgiven these people years ago. But I'm not going to be silent about my testimony. God wants me to share my testimony. Amen? And I'm not going to be silent about it. 
But one of the pastors that I was working for, um, let me give you an example. This church, I did not have a problem when I was young like this at this church. I didn't have one problem until God touched me with his anointing. I learned, first off, that the anointing attracts major spiritual warfare. Major spiritual warfare. I had no problems, really. I mean, things were going smooth. I was up and down a little bit, you know. But, man, once I went to revival at Brownsville, and once God touched me, and once this mantle came on me that, that came from other sources and there was an anointing, all hell broke loose at that church. And <clears throat> let me just give you some examples. But one of the things you'll find with me is that when, if somebody ever comes to me with accusations about you, I'm not going to just believe them. Because I had, I did make some mistakes at the age of 19, 20. You know, I mean, I was not perfect. I did send some and make some mistakes, and I apologize and made it right. But there was a lot of things said about me that just flat was a lie. But they wouldn't believe me. How would you feel if somebody came to you or came to me, rather, lying about you, and then I just simply believed that, and now you were a guilty party, even though you knew in your heart that you didn't do that. How would you feel? I went through that over and over with these, with these ministers. I love them and I bless them, but why is it so easy for certain ministers to get duped and sucked into lies without examining the facts? Just You're just guilty, period. There, and there were times that there was no way that I was guilty. And I'll give you one example of this one. This, this will surprise some of you. So by this time, things had already went south, and there was, there was people saying stuff about me, and, and the leadership had, had problems with me and stuff. I mean, just all this stuff said about me created problems now. So they pulled me in their office. I had just relocated. I just moved from one house into another place that I was living and I still had boxes. I was working another job. I was extremely busy. I was trying to get unpacked, but I did not have the best clothes unpacked and all that. We were using a gym. I mean, a gymnasium with basketball goals, a gym. It wasn't in a church. It was a youth thing. It was in a gym. And so I had to throw on some clothes and go to work the best I could. It was a Wednesday night. And, and so I had on some casual clothes and I had on a hat because back then I had hair. Okay. And uh, I didn't have any way of fixing it. So it was a youth service. Well, so they pull me in. Listen to this. They pull me into their office. And there's three guys there. And they're all ganged up on me. It's the pastor and two guys. And it's, I guess I was such a threat because of my muscular build. You know, it took, it took three grown men to sit in there to intimidate me, right? Keep me under control. But they, they leveled into me. And they basically were letting me know that I was, it was time for me to go. I said, okay, well. I said, well, what happened? What I do? And this is, this is what they told me. They said, well, first off, you're wearing a hat. That's what they said. And Pastor Stephen, I've seen you wear a hat, buddy. All right. So I remember thinking, I remember thinking I'm, not, I'm not in a church sanctuary on the platform. I'm in a gym with a bunch of young people. I'm, you know, but I said, okay, I'm sorry. I wore the hat. They had never told me before not to do it or I wouldn't have done it, okay? I would have just done something crazy with my hair, you know? <laughs> but anyway, I didn't think anything up. That was the first accusation was I was wearing a hat. This is how silly 
a religious spirit is, and it's mean. It's these guys were not joking; they were they were pretty vicious. The next accusation, he said, "Well, the pastor said, well, you put I put a piece of paper in there for you to read." Now, I didn't have an office. They didn't give me an office. But there was this communal office that had a copy machine and had these little racks, and my name was on one of the racks. And they put a paper in there. He said, I put a paper in there for you to read, and you didn't take it with you. And I said, well, brother, I said, I don't have an office to take it to. I mean, I read what you put in there, and I just read it and put it back. I didn't know you want me to take it with you. This is, I can laugh about it now, but this is, they were dead serious. And this is exactly, I'm telling you exactly what they accused me of, word for word. And then the third accusation, this really, really made me mad, though. And I actually said something in, when this came up. Prior to this, what happened was there was something, I don't remember what it was, but there was some really small thing where I needed a couple hundred dollars or something. And I, I told the pastor about it. The pastor said, that's no problem. He said, listen, we'll give it to you, and then it'll just come out of your check for the next month or whatever. Said, okay, great. No problem. He walks me together. We walk together. Down the hall to the church secretary, he tells her, write him a check for a couple hundred dollars. Just We're going to take it out of his check for the next month or whatever. And she said, yeah, no problem. And they did that. He was physically present. He said it. So I'm sitting in the office, and this pastor said, well, one of the board members said, well, and also, you stole a couple hundred dollars from the church. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, and they said, well, you, you took money, you went behind the pastor's back and took money and didn't, and the pastor's sitting right there. And I remember first off that I looked at him right in the eyes, and he, when he made eye contact, he looked down like this because he knew he was lying. What happened was, was that they asked him why he gave money away without um, getting their authorization. So he he just said, no, I didn't do that. He stole it. And that made me mad. And I said, no, that's not how it went down. And uh, the, this board member here went off on me and started yelling at me. So I'm sorry. But so I said, okay, I guess it's time for me to go. And I didn't even really, I didn't even really get to say goodbye to the young people. You gotta understand something. This didn't just damage me. This damaged the young people because the way it was so abusive. And I remember too that I wanted to take those young people to Brownsville to the revival. And I remember that I had we had worked so hard. Now, when you're a young person, you really you you stay late, come early, and you're making food and you're working your tail off. And they did this for months on end to raise money to go to the Pensacola revival because the pastor told us we could go. And they raised all the money to go. And then that same pastor, right before we're about to leave, comes to me and says, well, y'all can't go. And I said, why? What happened? And he said, well, here's the thing. We are of this particular denomination. That revival is Assembly of God, and so you're not going. It's a different denomination. And I said, well, why didn't y'all tell me this before we raised all this money? And, he's young, and, I, and, of course, then the ball falls on me that I've got to go tell the young people now that they can't go, you know. So this is the type of stuff I dealt with. This is a religious spirit. And when you come out of that, let me tell you something else I learned during this time. You've got to learn how to walk in forgiveness. Because that ate me up for a little while. It really did. And let me tell you, you've got to learn how to walk in forgiveness. And when you go through this stuff, let me tell you something. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If Jesus had a Judas, 
If Jesus had a Peter deny the faith, if Jesus had to go through the things he went through, persecuted by the religious, what makes us think that we're better than Jesus? So the thing is, that's part of your Christian growth. If you really have a call in your life, let me tell you, listen to me real close. You're going to have to get used to being lied about. You're just going to have to get used to the fact that there's... Are y'all hearing me? You're going to have to get used to the fact that there's certain people that even if you say it a certain way, they're going to say, no, he said this, and they're going to lie. That's just the way it is. Being misunderstood, being slandered, being lied about, it goes with the territory. You're just going to have to get used to it. That pride in you is going to have to break to where you genuinely, from your heart, just don't care anymore what people think. Because at the end of the day, when I die, I'm standing before Jesus and nobody else. Why do you think I say that all the time? Because God broke that in me a long time ago. You can't live to make everybody happy. Because you'll never be able to do it. So just live your life to make Jesus happy. Okay? I saw others um, in the ministry. Just giving you some examples. There was another pastor that, that I was with for a short time. But he never would put the house in order. He never would deal with stuff in the church. There was people that believed completely different doctrines in that church. It was just all over the place. He put me in charge of trying to straighten the whole mess out, but he would never deal with it. Let me tell you something. You cannot talk big in an office with your staff and then wimp out from the people. You better get out there and say, look, this is what we believe. Why do you think that I stand like that up here and say, this is what we believe. This is the way it is. This is what we preach, and this is the end of it. Because I saw all these different doctrines, and I saw the division it created, and he never would deal with it. There was one minister that, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. But I'm just trying to show you some stuff I've been through in the church world. But let me tell you, the two big tests, as you go through major things from Christians, you've got to make sure that you come through it like gold purified in the fire, that you're going to walk in forgiveness and you're not going to be rebellious. Because that was the two big temptations after all of that. was, And I'm not even done, but that was the two big ones in that time was to walk with unforgiveness and to become rebellious. And I really had to humble myself down and just deal with all this stuff within me, all the stuff that was going on. But anyway, at the age of 19, 20, 21, something like that, I didn't feel like that I was everything I needed to be. I had been saved for a couple years, but I learned through all that that I did not want to be that kind of minister and I didn't want to have that kind of ministry. I had a head-on collision with the religious spirit and its cruelty. And this was what I call the first cycle of destruction that hit my life. And really, during that time, I lost a lot. And I had to relocate, and I felt like I had to start all over, really, in life. So that's one wonderful period. You feel called to the ministry? Yeah. Hang in there. You'll, you'll go through it, but man, you'll come out. All right, and then the second, the second cycle, excuse me. All right, in this, this cycle, I want to deal with, um, this is where I started. First off, in the first cycle, I started learning how to die to the flesh, renew my mind, and pray. I had to to survive. I had to. Okay, so the second cycle that I went through, this was a lot different, but there, it was somewhat similar in certain ways. But let me read the scripture to you. In Acts chapter 8, you guys remember the story where Philip 
went down to Samaria and he was preaching the kingdom of God. A bunch of people got saved. Revival broke out. They started seeing these healings and miracles and deliverances, remember? All right. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, it says, There was a man named Simon who formerly practiced magic in the city, and he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Anytime somebody's going around claiming to be great, that's a red flag right there. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were given attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power. <laughs> this is funny to me. Anyway. And they were all giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic. He was like a David Blaine or a Chris Angel. You guys have seen that, you know. He was like that. Well, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were all baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself, he was a sorcerer, a magician. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip as he observed the signs and great miracles taking place, and he was constantly amazed. So he was seeing the power of God. He was seeing people get thrown to the ground and demons coming out. He was seeing a crippled person, their bones crack and them stand up. And he was astonished. So the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God and they sent for Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For, they had not, for the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had been born again, but they hadn't been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Okay, let's put it in terminology we're used to. Then they began, Peter and John began to lay hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit of God was bestowed on them through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Wrong thing to say to Peter. And Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, that this um, sin be forgiven you. Now listen to what Peter said. Will everybody please hear this? Peter said to Simon, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in bondage to iniquity. And Simon said, pray for me that this won't happen to me. But he had a sincere heart. But Simon was bitter and he was in bondage to iniquity. So in other words, Simon, even though he accepted Jesus Christ and even though he was water baptized, he was still in bondage. And Peter saw that about him and said, you're still in bondage. You need to be set free. So the first phase of my life, I had to deal with those things. The second phase, I was dealing now with spiritual warfare and I had never dealt with spiritual warfare before. In fact, up until this point, I did not know what a Jezebel spirit was. I did not know really what a religious spirit was. I did not certainly didn't know what Leviathan was and I, I didn't know um, how to deal with it. This was all new to me, but I knew that I was dealing with something and there was major issues in my heart and my life of inner healing and a need to be delivered from things. But you got to understand, the people that I was around would not have believed in that. See, for the sake of pet doctrines, people sometimes do not believe in certain things, so you don't get free. Had I been around people that believed in inner healing and deliverance and ministered to me, I could have got free. 
It's one of the reasons why I really spent time praying with everybody about this because I was in a situation where I didn't have anybody that I could go to. And so this was a few years after I left that church. I began to deal with these things. Let me give you now the new new scenario. All right. So I was married and I needed inner healing deliverance. But here's the thing. During this time, for whatever reason, only God knows. Once again, some things started circulating at this church where I was being uh, run down to the pastor and he just believed it at face value. And there were things, I could give you stories after stories after stories, where things were said that weren't true, but I was guilty and it was always my fault. It's like, okay, I'll just do better. How do you do better when you didn't do anything? I'll just do better, okay. And at this time that I was married, we I came out of this church once again. There was a lot of negativity there. And my wife at the time, for whatever reason, decided she just did not want the ministry. Probably the thing she saw. But it wasn't just that. She she told me that she didn't love me anymore, didn't want to be married to me. And she started having an affair. And she was also sowing her wild oats. I mean, you got to understand, this girl grew up in a Christian home. Grew up in a pastor's home. And is now out partying and sleeping around on me. And I was trying to serve the Lord. But here's the thing. I, I, was, I was out of the ministry when this happened, okay, I left, we left this church, we're dealing with stuff in our own personal lives, and here's some things that I learned through this time, this was around 2000, I think the year 1999-2000 time frame, if I remember right, there's some regrets I have in this, because I needed inner healing, I needed to be delivered of stuff from my past, I, I found myself we were, I was completely out of the ministry just on my own here, but I found myself dealing with all of a sudden this stuff started surfacing. See, that's why I spend time praying with you guys and get you to do this deliverance questionnaire. And I really pray for you and all of a sudden this stuff surfaces and we get it dealt with. See, I didn't have any of that. And all of a sudden this stuff, I've been saved now for a couple of years, I guess four or five years, but... All of a sudden, this stuff started coming up and surfacing, this inner healing stuff and this, this the strongholds and bondages that I, I never got broken. But anyway, my wife left me, got with somebody else, and I took some really bad advice. Somebody had given me the advice that I just needed to see. At the time, I was trying to live for the Lord, and so I had convictions. But I had some advice given to me that I needed to compromise my convictions to make her happy to work on the marriage. Well, here's the problem with it. That sounded good at the time. But when I started compromising my convictions, I wasn't right with God. And that was a Jezebel and Ahab scenario. And it, it really unleashed. It made everything go from bad to worse, just to be honest. And I was so I was so depressed. And it was demonic. I was so oppressed and so depressed. I was suicidal. And it was legitimate. And I remember that I started, I was out of the ministry. I was just on my own, but I started dealing again with drinking. I couldn't believe it. This stuff was coming up again where there was this alcohol. And the reason why I was drinking was because I was trying to numb the pain of what was going on in my life. Because I thought, I thought honestly, because once, once you're divorced and somebody's gone, that, that particular denomination I was a part of, I thought that was it anyway. You know, so I, I thought it was, I don't know how to say this other than I just thought my future was marred 
and that it would never be the same. It would never be what it should have been. Like it could have been this, but now it'll be something secondary. And I was majorly depressed, majorly depressed. And you know, during that whole time, I don't remember any Christians ever calling me or any ministers or anybody ever calling to see how I was doing or anything. In fact, there was a minister that I really looked to at that time and I would go to him about a lot of stuff. I wanted him to mentor me, but whenever I started going through a divorce, even though I was an innocent party in this, man, I really wanted it to work out. He distanced himself and never called me again. Just totally just cut me out of his life. Ten years later, I, I contacted him and we reconnected. But you gotta understand that hurt. He was the only thing that I had, and he just—he, you know, it's like well, this guy's going through a divorce, so I don't want my reputation mixed up with his, so I'll just just sever ties. Well, ten years later, um, I let him back in my life and go through another major betrayal, and he's on the other side of the fence again. And that sometimes. Certain people are just better not in your life, amen. But um, anyway, so this was a very difficult time for me. And actually, I needed to be inner healed. I needed to be delivered of this stuff. I needed a breakthrough. So God allowed me to lose everything at that time. And I was forced to move all the way back um, in with my parents for a couple of years. And that was humiliating. And I didn't want to be there. But anyway, during that time, though, I got on my face before God, and I cried out, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm tired of this. I need to, to... And God started speaking to me. See, the first cycle of my life was about the flesh, about renewing your mind. This cycle was about being delivered. And God started bringing books in my life and started teaching me about inner healing and deliverance. And I started realizing that even though I had accepted Christ, I did not get this <laughs> stuff broke out of my life. And I shared all this stuff with my parents who were, you know, we were living together, and they started praying about it because there was a lot of Freemasonry on one side. There was, there was um, on my dad's side, there was Native American Indian, and they, they practiced witchcraft, and, and there was things. And so I began to pray about my personal sin of my past and getting that broken, but also started praying about generational stuff. And let me tell you, what I experienced through that season there, it felt like this huge black cloud came off my lot. That's the only way I can describe it. It was like the skies parted and sunlight started coming in. That's exactly how it felt. And then after that happened, I started feeling a river of the Holy Spirit flowing in my life and flushing all that junk out. And so for a couple of years, that's all I did was just focus on getting free and focus on getting healed up and getting all that junk out. After a few years, I had already learned about the first cycle when I was very young about prayer and about the flesh and renewing the mind. But now I had to learn about how to walk in victory over the realm of spiritual warfare. So I started learning about rebuking the enemy. I started learning about um, getting delivered and free. And so God opened a door after all of that for me to go minister at this home where all these young people were there from all over the nation, some of them from other parts of the world, they were brought to this home, all different races, all different backgrounds. I mean, you'd have somebody that used to be a witch, somebody that used to be a sex slave, somebody that used to be um, into prostitution, somebody that was into gangs, um, you know, alcoholics. And, all, and they were young. They were younger than 18, but it was interesting because they had the life of somebody that was like 40. They had been through so much. A lot of them grew up in horrible environments. 
You get every type of background you can imagine. And God spoke to me to go minister to these young people. I said, okay, Lord, I'll go. And God and God laid on my heart. I went and I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to come down. And let me tell you, for the very first time I ministered, the power of God slammed that place. And for a couple of years, I just went there off and on. But I saw over and over, I saw um, people getting miracles, physical healings, testimonies all the time. And one of the things that I saw there, and God had prepared me for this, but I, was, I would be praying for people, just going down the line, praying for people, and they were getting slammed. They'd speak in tongues. They'd laugh. They'd cry. All that. They were getting healed. But I'd see some little girl over here, and she's like a man's voice or a snake or something. It was like this demon started manifesting. She'd fall on the ground, and, and you know, all of a sudden, all of them are hide behind Brother Scott, right? And so I'm having to cast the demon out. But I realized that these people sincerely had accepted Christ, but yet, they were demonized. And so I had to learn how to get people delivered. So this phase in my life now was learning about this. And I began to really get free and, and start walking in victory over this stuff. But it was a very difficult time. And this has given birth now to a ministry of understanding that people that come in need to get free. You don't just take people... And just chunk them into ministry stuff. You, you sit down with them and help them get free. That's the whole point. And, you know, like other people that are here that's been through, that's the whole point of the deliverance questionnaire for people is just to help them get all that baggage off of them. Help them get all that junk off their life so that they can get free and move on into what Christ has called them to. And it's not going to, like, surface later in life. Because I couldn't believe this stuff's coming up later. I was... Because I've been saved in by, I don't know, four or five years. And all of a sudden, this stuff, it just felt like I was having a life choked out of me spiritually. It was like, what is going on? And this, of course, led to me and my wife meeting. But before I get into that, let me tell you, too. I focused on kind of the negative. But let me tell you that from 1996, though, I got saved in 95, 1996, when I went to Brownsville. From that time, God was pouring out His Spirit, though, in my life. But there were times where I was really struggling. But how many knows that the Holy Spirit will work with you? Let me tell you something. A religious spirit makes people feel like garbage. It makes you feel shamed. It makes you feel like you can't measure up. And because you're not perfect, you're not worth anything. That is a demonic spirit. And let me tell you, a religious spirit will always try to bring up your past and rub your nose in it. But the Holy Spirit will not do that. He will work with people along the way and teach you what you need to know. I think that I probably could have learned things a little quicker had I had people take me under their wing and help me. But that wasn't there. So the Holy Spirit had to teach me over time. But let me back up and say this. There were, at this particular church where I was at first, the very first one I talked to where there was abuse there, even though I was rejected by the leadership, there were two elderly women in that church, Ruby and Addie. And I haven't been able to keep up with them because I don't, I don't even know where they live now. But anyway, they saw something in me. And I used to go up there and pray by myself because I was sincere. Even though I wasn't perfect, I was sincere. And they saw something in me, and they used to go up there and pray with me. And we were the only ones in the church that would really go up and pray. But nonetheless, they would spend a lot of time with me. And they taught me how to pray. 
and they really helped me. And they took me to revivals and things like that. But God began a process in my life also of the Holy Spirit being poured out in my life. Let me give you a couple stories about that, and then I'll close this thing out with more recent time frame. But even though I was imperfect, God had really touched my life, and he brought something very encouraging in my life. I believe that it happened at this time to um, keep me going and encourage me through the difficulties. There was two things that happened. One of them was I went to this this church where there was a revival going on, and there was this man there, and he was a powerful man of God. I was surprised how anointed it was. And as he was preaching, he prayed for people. You, some of you've heard me tell the story with his Bible, and everybody was just. And he prayed for me while I was sitting in the pew, just put his Bible on my head, and I went out. And it was strong. I could feel the glory of God really thick. And he called me out, and he said. Um, when I was your age, God put a mantle on my life. A man came from London, and the Lord's telling me to pass that to you tonight. Come down here. I tried to get down there. I was so shaking under the power of God. It was a very holy, hallowed moment. And he prayed for me seven times, hit me on the head with his Bible, which I didn't even feel. And uh, I didn't feel it. All I know is, I re- all I remember feeling was being picked back up. That's all I remember. I was praying for seven times, people picking me up. And there was a pile of people. But... The thing was that this, this guy referenced a mantle from London. This was really interesting. This is what encouraged me and helped me keep going. Because then when I went to Pensacola, I met somebody from London. He, he invited me to come out to London. And it was a very powerful time in London. And I found out on my dad's side of the family that we have some ancestry there. And while I was in London, I was in prayer at some old Anglican church that was built in like 1200. It was in, etched in the wall. And I couldn't believe how old that place was. And I was just praying there, and I had a vision. And I saw some some woman, and I could tell it was like many years ago in England, but she was on her face, and she was praying and crying and giving her descendants to the Lord, like giving her children and stuff to the Lord, dedicating her family to the Lord for the service of the Lord. And I felt the Lord show me that there was something generational. And how else could all this stuff from London just find me? And I went to London, and I went I went there thinking, my mother said, you should look up Sandy Miller. And that's like somebody coming to America and somebody saying, hey, while you're there, you should just look up Benny Hinn. You know, hey, just do that. I mean, it was just, it seemed so ridiculous, but I thought, well, why not? But the guy contacted me and said, I want you to come to my house. And how did all this happen? But there was something in London, and God used these little things in my life to really encourage me. You know, before I went through that major betrayal with the divorce, I was in worship, and, and uh, I don't, I've never really shared a lot of this stuff. My wife will tell you, my parents tell I've never shared this stuff publicly, ever. But I was in prayer right before I went through all that hell with that divorce and stuff like that. I was worshiping and praying. And I mean to tell you, this is the only time it's happened, but Jesus appeared to me. And I saw him. And when I saw him, it was just opened up like this. And I saw him coming toward me. I was so hit by the power of God. It shocked me because it was so. It was a suddenly. I was standing there worshiping. Next thing I know, Jesus is smiling. I'm thrown back on the ground. I couldn't believe it. It was just so fast. Pow! But, you know, when I went through all that hell, I kept thinking about Jesus came before all this. And, and it just encouraged me to, to keep going. And some of that stuff from London and just the fact I felt like there was destiny. Does that make sense? When you feel like you have a sense of destiny, when God 
shows you there's something going on. And so even though all this hell was going on here, and God was allowing it because He was teaching me how to be humble. He was teaching me how to forgive people. He was teaching me how to die to the flesh and how to pray and how to get victory in warfare and how to get free and all that stuff. At the same time, the Lord was really pouring out His Spirit at times in my life. There were times where He seemed distant, but there were times when God was mightily pouring out His Spirit. So I just want to add that in there. The Lord was with me through this. And He'll be with you too if you go through some difficulties. So I'm going along, minding my own business. And this pastor that I knew for years says, Hey, I want you to come to this meeting. I need you there. And I said, All right, I'll be there, you know. And, and lo and behold, Miss Sandy comes in. I had no idea she was going to be there. I knew, I knew her from before, but... Anyway, we went to the same church for a time. But he wanted me there. And listen, she was going through, you know her testimony. So she had just been through something very difficult herself. And she was going to this minister for just prayer and ministry. What do I do with my life? And so I'm there praying. And, the, and she leaves. And the pastor tells me, you know, there might be something there between the two of you. He's matchmaking, man. And I was like, I, I was thinking... Really? Because I, I, I would have never thought that he would have said that in the first place. But he had known her for, for many, many years, like 10 years or something. He had been a spiritual father and a pastor to her. And he had really mentored me some. This was many, many years later. This was 2005, I believe, somewhere around there. And so, anyway, he kind of put us together. And But Sandy had a powerful testimony. And her testimony resulted in a woman... What one testimony out of this was that there was a woman that came out of Satanism her whole life. Her whole family was deeply involved in Satanism, deeply involved. And this was an underground coven. And these people, man, there was a, a police officer in that city that was in the coven. There was a doctor at the hospital that was in that coven that would do off-the-record stuff. Like, for example, there would be a pregnancy. It would not be recorded. This lady would deliver the child they would sacrifice it to the devil it was never it was never recorded as a birth it was never recorded as a death and this and, and this lady knew about i mean she was involved with all these people and so this lady gets saved under my wife's testimony and all hell breaks loose in this lady's life her family was threatening to kill her and threatening to kill sandy and they were not joking around about it and it concerned me because they also had a police officer in their midst. So it concerned me that they could actually do something. And and Sandy had lived out in the boonies by herself and didn't have guns or anything. So I was really concerned for them. I really prayed for them. And um, but one night, this is this is a crazy story she didn't share. This is this happened after after these Satanists got really mad at this lady that left their covenant and became a Christian. They were doing sacrifices, and they would take like the horns of a, a ram or whatever that they had sacrificed to the devil, and they were supposedly putting a curse on her and my wife or whatever, and they would take those horns and put it in her yard to threaten her, we're going to kill you. And um, Sandy and I weren't married, so I obviously was not there, but she told me that one night she wakes up to the dogs barking, and there was these people, it scared her up to death, there was all these people in her yard that had black hoods on. And they were coming toward her house, and she was woke up because the dogs were barking. And um, she didn't have guns or anything. She was praying, and all of a sudden, those dogs went berserk. I mean, those dogs can get filled with the Holy Ghost. 
those dogs went berserk and they were going to destroy these people. And they just attacked them viciously. And these people were out there trying to fight off the dogs. Am I telling the story right? They were running around the house anyway. And they, yeah, they were they were chanting and they were trying to curse her. And you know, they were there for nefarious reasons. There's no doubt about it. But nonetheless, those dogs ran them off. And so that was kind of some bizarre circumstances surrounding us. And that pastor that put us together told me, he said, when the two of you come together, he said, spiritual warfare will increase because, you know, your ministry will be more effective and powerful. And I thought, good grief, man. You know, I don't want to hear anything else about warfare the rest of my life. Okay, you know. I mean, it was, it was bizarre, some of the stuff that was going on. But let me close now with more recent times. So God brought my wife and I together, and, and we moved out of the area, moved to, to Rockwall, and, and God really started opening the door for me. I got involved with Heartland for a time under Steve Hill while he was still alive, and it was a very powerful, very positive thing in my life. So finally, now say this, I'm going to say this in a, in a right way, but finally, I felt like I was under a covering that walked with God. There wasn't going to be able to be this go to him, run me down type of jump because he was too smart for that and he was too discerning. He would have known that's not of God. You understand what I'm saying? It, there was protection there. And it was a really good experience for me. I felt, I felt loved and accepted. Uh, Brother Steve met with me in private some and talked to me. He was a very sweet man. If you met him, I mean, behind the pulpit, he, he would unleash. He'd preach hellfire and brimstone, buddy. And everybody everybody gets saved. There'd be preachers been preaching for 50 years. Come down and get saved all over again, you know. And uh, just a, a general of the faith. But at the same time, when you met with him in private, he joked around. He was really sweet. You know, he was a real nice guy. And um, he spent some time. And, and it really, it really, I guess it brought a lot of healing to my heart. A lot that went on there. And so I just, we're very thankful for that time. But he allowed me to be in leadership roles, and this kind of began things for me in a positive way to start a cell group and a ministry and, and started doing a lot of street evangelism. And Pastor Steve loved that. He was very behind the street evangelism we were doing. And we saw a lot of people touched on the streets. Anyway, one thing led to another, and over the years, um, we felt to start River of Life and do a church plant. And so that's what we've been doing now. But let me give you a couple things as I close this out. This was the, since 2008, 9, and 10. Some rough years, though, I was surprised. But here's the good news. The first cycle of destruction, because I still was very young. I was 19, 20 years old, only been saved for a year or two. The enemy was able to, to slap me around a little bit. Okay. Then, a couple years after that, once again, a second cycle of destruction, the enemy was able to slap me around a little bit. It was, it was rough. But the devil tried to attack me again a third time, and it didn't work this time. Let me tell you what happened. I was in a meeting my dad and I went to, and Cindy Jacobs, there's a small group of preachers, and Cindy Jacobs prophesied over me. And she said, I really feel like that you're going to face an ancient spirit. This is her exact words. An ancient spirit that took down somebody's ministry in this area. But it won't take you down. And I thought, you know, I'm tired of hearing these things. I don't want to hear it anymore. 
I don't want to know about some ancient spirit or whatever. <laughs> but nonetheless, I knew, I knew that it was from the Lord. And then all hell started breaking loose. In about 2008, it really was intense. It was intense. There was a spiritual swirl of activity started going on. And um, then, not only that, but while this is going on, I drive to Morningstar. And it's like all the prophets converge to Morningstar. You know, all the prophetic people. And I'm just kidding around. There's a lot that aren't there. But nonetheless, they're, they're true prophetic voices there. And while I was there for a conference, I was going through so much intense pressure spiritually. I couldn't believe it. It was so intense. I couldn't believe it. And I told a guy there, I said, I need some people to pray for me, man. I came all the way out here to the conference. So y'all need to find some people. So they went and got a bunch of leaders there that prayed over me. And they prophesied and they said this. They said, There's, what you're going through has a lot to do with people that are wanting your downfall and your destruction. This what, and they said, and they led me to believe with what they're saying. It's not just witches. It was some of that, but that they was Christians. Let me tell you something. You better be careful. We're all going to stand before Jesus one day. But the words of your mouth that you speak against people, the evil prayers that you pray that, that God remove, destroy, whatever, you're coming against people with your prayers, that's witchcraft, and that's very evil. And so I had some ancient spirit, as Cindy calls it, and these people now that are wanting my destruction. So think about it for a second. Of course the witches are going to be praying. We all figure that one. Okay, but then you've got Christians that are wanting your downfall. They're speaking and praying against you. And basically, they're joining with the witches, you know, and it's and it's and it can be intense. And on top of that, I go to see the pastor, because this is so intense. I go to see the pastor that put my wife and I together. And I'm, I'm, I'm generally thinking this pressure was so intense. I was thinking in my mind to myself, I never vocalized it, but I said, what's going to happen to Sandy if I die? It was that bad. I never said anything, but it was that bad. And I went to see him, and I never said a word, and I sit down, and he goes, before you came here, the Lord told me, you're not going to die. You're going to survive this. And he said, so don't worry about that. And he started talking to me about when he said what also what I was going through. This is lovely. This is a whole new thing. He said the generational stuff from your wife's family, that, that Satanism and stuff, that's another thing. And so I had the wonderful joy of facing three things at once, trying to annihilate me and squish me like a bug, man. And I felt like this big boot was trying to squish me like a bug. And it was difficult. You know, I just had a picture of Brianna chasing a June bug. Because I don't know if you knew this about my daughter, but she hates June bugs. And people that are from the north, I don't know if you guys get this thing. But anyways, neither here nor there. I don't need to go there. But this was probably one of the most intense battles of my life. Honestly, I did not know that I was going to survive it until this pastor prophesied that. Because I knew that there's no way he could have known that. You know, I mean, you go sit in somebody's office and they say, the Lord says you're not going to die. I mean, who says those things, right? <laughs> but this attack hit my health. It, hit my, it was a vicious attack against my health. It, it was bad. It attacked my finances. It attacked relationships. It turned friends into enemies. It attacked my ministry. It attacked my family. And, I mean, it hit every side at once. And um, 
I was already tired of warfare. Now I got to deal with this. But let me tell you. On the other side of it, though, this is why it was so intense. At toward the end of it, I went down to see Pastor Kilpatrick at the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival, and uh, he comes up to me and, and uh, he's praying for people. And he prays for me and he says, "You're about to see a tenfold increase of anointing." Power of God slammed me. I went out, and I had just had a prophetic word from the Lord. I was sharing, and it was about Zechariah chapter four or whatever. You guys should remember this about the two sons of oil remember pouring the oil in I said we're about to enter a season a major increase of anointing and then I get this prophetic word so I knew alright I'm going through the worst battle ever but I'm also going to come into the greatest anointing ever and God supernaturally sovereignly gave me divine appointments with the leaders of the Argentine revival that's just one of them Carlos and Claudio and all them prayed over me man it was amazing and, and I mean, the list goes on. I, I can't even remember them all now. There were so many different divine appointments with people. But see, right before that happened, I went through the worst battle of my life ever. And, and if you, now that you've heard my whole life, you can kind of appreciate <laughs> when I say that, that it was really intense. And, um, but at the, toward the end of that, right before that tenfold increase of anointing, I went through a major betrayal. I had a, a spiritual son that I poured my life into, man. I mean, I knew him since he was a kid. Poured my life into him. Um, stabbed me in the back. Totally betrayed me. And split the church. Took a bunch of people. And uh, I had to start, I felt like I had to start all over again from scratch after that because it was such a major destruction to the church. But let me tell you, right at your greatest anointings, right as you're about to come into your greatest revivals, you may go through some of the greatest warfare, but take courage because the greater the attack, the greater the blessing on the other side. Amen? And that was a, we've had a tremendous 2011, 12, 13 into 14 has been just a smoking revival move of God. Some of you are new, so that's all you know, but um, it's been amazing what God has been doing. So I say that to close with this, that listen, we've got to be serious about the things of God. And let me tell you, I'm here to help you guys. But number one, we've got, all of us have got to learn how to die to the flesh daily. This was the first lesson God taught me when I was 19, 20, 21 years old. I've got to die to the flesh. I've got to renew my mind and I've got to have a prayer life. I've got to be strong. And then the second thing is, I'm here to help you guys with this. You've got to get healed up inwardly and you've got to get delivered from all the garbage of your past. You've got to get free. Get all that junk out. Get all that pollution out. Because if you don't, I promise you, later on in life, it will try to resurface. Trust me, it happened to me. It will try to resurface and it will try to squeeze the very life out of you. Things that you thought, where did that come from? I mean, all of a sudden this stuff starts coming up from your past. And you've got to get free from all that stuff, and I'll help you with it. I'll, I'll pray with you. We'll get the victory. But the last thing is this, about a ministry as a church. Now that we're doing a church plant, and we're about to get into our facility, here we are about to really go forward now into something, okay? We cannot tolerate any type of evil men and women that try to slither in. You can't do it, guys. We have got to guard against that. During um, Rodney Howard Brown, Sarcino's great revivals, remember, back in the 90s? 
And there were witches that were coming to the meetings trying to pray for people. And people came up to Brother Rodney and said, Brother Rodney, there's these witches coming in praying for people. And he got up and said, that's it. Nobody prays for anybody except me. And he shut the whole thing down. Now, I'm not saying we have to do that specifically, but that's what he felt to do. And it, and it broke that. And at Brownsville, John Kilpatrick said, man, he said all the time these witches would come in from New Orleans. They'd be back there shaking their little rattles, chanting stuff. You know, they're trying to lose spirits into the church and they want to pray for people. And, and he had to have things ready to deal with that level of stuff. And not only that, that's one thing. I mean, that's you need to deal with that. But you know what's the worst attack? Is when you've got Christians coming in that are, are going to be used of the devil to try to cause division. That's the worst attack of all. That's the worst. Because they can do more damage to the kingdom of God than a witch. So anyway, we've got to make sure... So I, this is the thought through this whole thing is we can't have a religious spirit. Let's be patient with people as they're growing up in Jesus. Will y'all do that with me? Yeah. Let's be patient whenever you see somebody come in and they're, they're maybe dressed inappropriately or maybe they're not perfect yet. Just be patient with them. Let Jesus clean them up, man. Be patient with the fact that they may still be struggling. They may still be smoking. They may still be drinking some. Let Jesus deliver them from it and set them free and get the junk out but it's got to be the work of Jesus. You can't come across this thing being real oppressive. Listen, you, you, you take a stand for righteousness. You say that stuff's not right. You're not justifying it. But at the same time, you're patient in the work of the Lord cleaning them up. It's not like you measure up tomorrow or we're going to throw you out like a piece of garbage. That's, that's a religious spirit. That's what I felt like happened to me. That's abuse. And people are getting abused by the church. And then you wonder why they hate God. Now they're an atheist. Now they're a witch. Now they're out of church. Because they've been some of them have been abused in church. But for the grace of God, I could have fell away like that. I could have got real bitter. But I knew I knew better because I'd grown up in church. I knew not everybody was that vicious. So but here's the thing. I want to pray tonight for everybody that wants prayer. And I hopefully you took away from this about what I meant with a religious spirit. We don't want cold love. We don't want to be sterile. We want the power of God. We want to have a loving environment people can come into and get ministry and it be real. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and shut down recordings and we're going to pray with people.